Hello everybody, welcome to another Nudecast. Uh, I'm here with Ben Stevenson. Uh, this is uh, well, the 3rd of February 2019. Mm-hmm. The worst is yet to come, <laughs> I guess. Um, ben is a painter and an occasional sculptor. Um, he graduated from Wimbledon College of Arts in 2014. Um, his themes include uh, repressed sexuality, uh, brutalist uh, aesthetics within the framework of painting and body and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was shown at the Bond House in New Cross, London, the Oxo Barge House with an exhibition called Tribes. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then participated in a workshop, performative workshop with yeah. writer projects uh, uh, late, uh, a little bit later in 2018. And you were shortlisted for the Jerwood's Artist Bursary a couple of years ago as well. How are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. Getting over the January blues, kind of looking forward to some warm weather soon as well. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, Yeah, I'm well. So you've made a playlist for us as well, uh, featuring Radiohead, Arthur Rossell, uh, Hedek, Haduk? Haduk, Haduk trio, uh, Bill Callahan and Loudon Weinwright. The third? The third, yeah. The third. I have no idea why it's the third, but yeah. Okay, so uh, should we start the playlist and then we can... Yeah, sure. All right. So I think the first song that you have very kindly curated for us is actually one of my favorite songs. Okay. Just going to make sure it's not too loud. So this is Everything in Its Right Place Yeah. by Radiohead. Yeah, that's it. So... You know, this is the first song that you've picked in your, you know, that you've picked within, you know, the playlist that we're going to listen to today. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a very, you know, I have a lot of kind of intimacy towards this song. Yeah, me too. Personally. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, why you picked it to be your first song, you know, kind of how it, uh, how it looks at, um, your practice in a way mm-hmm. um, do you actually feel like everything is in its right place or <laughs> can ever be I in think its it, right place I think it can be and that's okay. one reason I chose it for the, <laughs> the lyrics for the title mm. I mean titling is quite important for me within my work but also in songs I listen to lyrics a lot and they often can inform my perception of that um, so this piece like everything in its right oh this song sorry everything in its right place like for me that epitomizes like the feeling that you get when you really nail something. Mm. And I think like painting, I've always felt has been like quite a meditative process where you're kind of working through things, working through memories, working through nostalgia, feelings, thoughts. And then um, you often, I often feel like I've reached like a point where just as in meditation, you're kind of slightly above or beyond or out of your normal like, cognitive thinking, reasoning, and you're kind of acting quite impulsively. And then when you get to that point, and then you actually manage to resolve a piece, I think you reach that state occasionally, and that's why—that's kind of where the addiction comes in, when you reach that point where you feel like everything's in the right place, not even just within the painting, but that kind of everything around you. Mm. I think for me, that's like the meditation state. Like that's the feeling of like, good, bad, doesn't really exist in that sense. It's kind of like, it just is. It comes together. Yeah, it okay. comes together. And then in a more formal, of sense within the painting or sculpture itself like you kind of have that feeling of everything works together so the top right corner informs the bottom left 
it kind of has to all work together. And I think that's again like all of the things kind of piecing together like the jigsaw. Yeah. And that's often why like I often collage, I often piece things together in that way as well, is it's that thing of like adding and subtracting. And that's what I get from painting and sculpture is that additive and subtractive quality. Um, but the reason as well I put this song first was mainly because it's the first, one of the first albums I started listening to when I started painting. So I was about like 15, I think. Okay. And then I had it on CD and used to just bang it out, like pretty much on repeat. And yeah. then I just remember it got me in that state, like that kind of feeling of like quite like trance like. Because yeah. it is the whole album I feel is quite like, has that electronic and they're like the nice kind of like piano, I don't know. It's in, yeah, the, yeah. Synth, the synth aspects of it. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to about painting that most mm. of them don't consider painting to ever have an end point. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, can, you can just keep going. And, yeah. Um, with a lot of your works, you know, because uh, I've been to your studio before, mm -hmm. and you know, we've we've had conversations before. Um, with a lot of your works, uh, you seem to be kind of, at least from from you know from my perspective as someone who writes a lot, mm. it's like writing and then rewriting and then writing and then yeah. rewriting and then deleting and writing and erasing and you know going through this process that. You, you you know the finishing point doesn't necessarily happen until you feel like it's organic yeah completely so like how does how does that type of you know erasing and then going back and re-looking really mm. at different elements within your paintings that maybe you would like to play with more in the future so i've i've kind of feel that like often i will rework things and often people when viewing the work sometimes will say it looks kind of unresolved in one way or another um, and I don't take it as a criticism. I mean, they think that I leave, like, say, areas that aren't completely like polished and refined. Um, but I think that thing of revisiting and reworking is, is really important. And I think that any time you're working on it, you have to feel like you're kind of invigorating the whole surface. So you don't have to make all of the surface wet. You don't have to be painting every single part. But I think you have to feel like you're fully in that moment of making that piece. So if you're just working tidying up one small section, I feel like you're not you're not painting, if you know what I mean. You're just yeah. you're just polishing. You're just kind of illustrating that little area. Yeah. Um, which is always a, a struggle, at least with myself. Like in the sense that part of me just wants to come back in one day, just do a tiny little bit. But I think when I do that, I often feel like I've taken something away from the rest of it. Rather than giving yeah. to the work. Yeah. It's. It, I think it becomes quite an abstract notion when you talk about it to that depth, but or when you think about it in that way. But I just feel like you have to work the whole thing and kind of revisit the whole thing if you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And this is uh, That's Us, Wild Combination mm -hmm. by Arthur, Arthur Russell. Russell. Yeah. Um, Russell. I, mean, Russell. I don't know. I don't you know. <laughs> I can't really understand most of the times I, you know, just pronunciation is a little bit weird. But yeah. so this guy, you know, multi-instrumentalist, yes. mostly celloist, yeah. right? Yeah. Kind of dwelled into the disco scene a yeah, little bit. So, you know, a song like this coming after Radiohead. Mm -hmm. What I want to ask you is, you know, how do you, is this a song or this kind of vibe is what you would listen to once you start gaining momentum within yeah. This kind of meditative state where you're not just, you know, you're not just working a small piece of the painting, but rather you're becoming more vigorous or aggressive, yeah. or you know, how does with with your relationship with music, right? Um, how does the movement flow for you 
uh, depending on you know what BPM the music is yeah. or what type of music that you're listening to. It definitely does vary um, and it definitely does have a big impact so often I kind of curate choose a playlist or choose an album or something before starting and I'll, and it'll be one that I've probably listened to a lot of times before so I have like several that are kind of like on repeat almost. Um, Arthur Russell Roussel is one is a, a good one for that kind of more upbeat tempo that you want but some of his songs are even though he was in the disco era and he had a lot of like tracks like this, some of them are slightly more downbeat. Um, but I think you're right, like about when you're picking up in the pace of the making of the work, the music definitely has a direct relationship with that. Um, so you'll, I'll choose kind of based on what I want to feel, how I know or expect like that kind of painting session to go. Would you gravitate so. more to this kind of movement in, in music when you're painting bodies rather than, or like representation of, of bodies rather, or would it be different elements or, you know, because, you know, you're, your paintings do play with a lot of aspects of intimacy between different types of bodies, different types of people. Most of the faces are like blurred out because yeah. at the end of the day, what we look like doesn't really matter because, you know, <laughs> we're just flesh. Yeah, you know? well, that's kind of... Um, so I'm just, uh, I, I'm just wondering that when you are painting, you know, what is essentially in most of your you know in most of your works naked flesh whether it's female or male mm -hmm. or other yeah sometimes right? it's not too and sometimes you can't even tell whether it's yeah. a, a man or a woman or you know um i'm wondering you know what kind of vibe you would go for in terms of like a playlist you know and how how would that um how would that affect the way that you're going about to paint yeah. these these bodies, for example. It's a really interesting thought. It's something I haven't really considered. It's probably more subconscious <laughs> than conscious. I've never really kind of changed the music depending on the subject matter. It's more on the feeling. Okay. But then I think when I'm painting the figures, when I'm putting people in there, they're usually very sexualized in one way or another. So it's usually supposed to kind of, oh, I want it to conjure up a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. So. I think often I'll listen to some more music that's maybe more, sometimes even like kind of a bit slower or like more romantic even, if I want to get more into that kind of mood. It really, it really varies. Um, and I think it's too hard to kind of put like down a formula. It's because it's purely kind of intuitive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going, I, like, I liked what you said about the people not having faces. And I think for me, like diversity to that is just that often, oh, I never really want them to be portraits in that yeah. sense. So it's all about the figure and you watching the figure as a spectator, as a viewer, and maybe not feeling like the viewer is directly engaging with you. So you're given this privacy or this platform where you can kind of look into the Almost into the voyeuristic. Piece. Very voyeuristic, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and I think that that's essentially what we're doing when we are looking at pictures. So even before, when I haven't been painting figures, I've still had that same kind of relationship, that same symbiosis between the viewer and the piece where they are in relationship and we're given the benefit often of not being confronted by the piece. Um, so that's kind of the, the figurative aspect. But I think with the music, I don't have just one genre that I listen to and I don't have just one kind of musician. I really listen to for one type. Yeah. So it really varies. But um, but I do like that idea that I'll, I'll pay more attention to, um, to when I'm choosing music to see if I do actually gravitate towards one when I'm painting one kind of subject. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's, you know, a lot of, 
a lot of like a lot of the figures that you that you paint you know they almost don't even the thing the things that are most um, kind of visible are our hand our limbs mm -hmm. yeah essentially um, and I've never thought of limbs as a as a sexual as a sexual part yeah of the body and I I mean I don't feel like is is your intention actually well not your intention that's a little bit of an aggressive and strong word to use um, but it's the feeling that you want to conjure up in whoever the viewer is a feeling of a body that's sexualized or a feeling that a body is appreciated from a, from a distance this is not a trick question I'm no, not you know it's not that I'm trying to you know associate one with the with one yeah. way and another with the other because. Mm -hmm. You know, um, also this was an amazing find. I, I, I didn't know who these were. This is Hadouk Trio yeah. and this is Lamsha. Yeah, Lamsha. But, um, you know, I've got a personal relationship to this song too, but going, like carrying on what you were saying about the limbs, I think hands <laughs> and feet come up a lot. That's why like, the socks even have started to come in and like, mm. other kind of or more like ornamental like objects mm -hmm. like, come in to like make the piece a bit more sculptural. Um, but I think it's because the hands have that sensitivity of touch that we're all so familiar with and so in like some of the pieces like the figures are actually interacting with something either it be each other's bodies or yeah. like an object within yeah. within the depicted space and um, so I think that's something that is inst instantly very like sensual and like sexually gratifying to kind of watch because through looking at it you're kind of empathizing with it in one way mm -hmm. so by you're watching someone touching something you can almost conjure up that feeling of what it would be like to be engaging with that, what it would be like to be touching that. Mm -hmm. um, and limbs as well, just like the legs and the arms, are pretty, like they're slender often in the in the paintings, often like elongated to kind of like a mannerist proportion. Like so, I think that that kind of gives it a few different qualities. Like one of it is formalist, like allowing me to play with the space. Most of the paintings are, um, are portrait and usually quite long canvases. Yeah. So I think the limbs kind of echo that. And then, they also like, I think, yeah, they're quite like graceful, they're quite like slender and, and like long, and that kind of adds, for me at least, to the central kind of element of mm -hmm. of the the people of the figures. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I also feel like the way that you're um, that you're trying to achieve this, you know, this feeling is very much like the song. Actually, it's quite mystifying. That's nice. That's, that's what Do you know I want. what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's quite, you know, you're you're interested and. You understand what you're going, and you want to see more. But the fi the figures are in s such a way like blurred out and, mm -hmm. and quite vague that you kind of they're, they're mysterious at the same time. Um, and you know they're they're very bodily, and I have noticed that a lot of your works kind of have these um, like the flames, for example, mm -hmm. that are not really they don't really look like flames. I mean. Maybe I can understand that they're flames because I was actually here when you were when you were working with, yeah, you with, saw you. with the with the stencil, right? Mm -hmm. um, but also there's all of these like these the symbolism uh, mm -hmm. that is essentially you know uh, um, joined to uh, an idea of desire, mm -hmm. right? Which yeah. is you know which is quite. It's quite different to see in painting that's not figurative painting. Mm -hmm. 
Because I wouldn't say that your work is necessarily figurative. It's not solely, yeah. yeah it has um, figures, but it's not that I base that on my own kind of portrayal that like, yeah, avenue. So I, I kind of want to look at a little bit of like the, you know, the uh, the objects that you use um, and um, what's that? Not metaphors. Uh, the word the words at the tip of my tongue now. Like, you can say metaphors or like me tropes. Or, tropes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got, you know, you, you one of, you know, my favorite painting of yours actually looks at a lot of uh, vases mm -hmm. and ceramic, kind of very much looking into ancient Greek, Greece, mm -hmm. and neoclassical um, imagery. Yeah. And from what I understand, you have a certain fascination with, you yeah. know, uh, the idea of ancient Greece as it, you know, was representing you know, the Olympic Games, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm very curious as to, you know, what you what you want to get out of that relationship between bringing in naked bodies and then bringing in these very uh, kind of masculine in, yeah, you know, in, inverted commas, in inverted yeah. commas, yeah. Um, because you know, seeing, seeing, uh, seeing a figure throw a basketball within a vase, which is something that's mostly made, or you know, mostly made by yeah, yeah, a vessel made by you know, probably a, you know, a, a woman, mm -hmm. right? So it's. And that's how that's how you know these vessels were in ancient Greece as well. They were there to represent uh, the achievements of great men. It's like that scene in Hercules at the beginning where yeah, it's I just like going, yeah, it's like going through all of the, yeah, you know, the, all of the, the vases narrative. and they're telling the story and yeah. it's you know. Um, so for me, like often the objects, like the vases, the amphora vase is is quite bodily in a sense but I, something I'd like to push further and make even more so. Um, one thing I've realized about it that was kind of not conscious, but it's like kind of come up over making several similar and different pieces, has been that often they're cracked. And I think I'm really drawn to the idea of like the crack in the vase, because it's like a vessel holding something. But if it's cracked, it's again like the enigma, the mystery. Yeah. It's like pouring out its contents or its contents are removed. For everyone to see. Exactly, so it's again like opening up for the viewer. Um, and I think that's <clears throat> what I'm getting at a lot of the time is more psychological in the sense that it's underlying like notions and like feelings and thoughts that I've had that I kind of want to get across. And I'm using narratives to do that. So like the Greek myth is a good one because I feel like they're laden, they're like filled with like these gory, like angsty stories of like rape, lust, desire. And mm -hmm. I think that those, a lot of those emotions or those kind of narratives are still depicted in different ways even in contemporary media mm -hmm. and there's still things that are still there in our psyche or on the borderline of our consciousness that we don't maybe pay attention to but similar like you mentioned the olympic games like or like say let's to look back at a gladiator fight mm. and to go to a modern day boxing match it's very different in a lot of ways but it's the idea of it being a contest a physical contest between two people that's aggressive it's controlled, it's skill-based. It's not like if you lose your temper, like, I mean, you, you've been boxing, so yeah. you can probably say more than me even. But I think if you lose your temper in, in, a, in a sports match, then you might, you're more likely to lose the game. So it's not like it's just a pure show of, like, of brute strength, but at the same time, it is showmanship. It is kind of bravado and I would say masculine and not in the terms of like gender politics, but in the terms of like, I attribute masculine qualities with things like strength 
even though there are many feminine or feminine shows of strength, I think that in terms of sporting, it's often an, an idea of masculine bravado. Yeah. And I think that kind of pseudo macho psyche is one thing that I'm quite interested in. Um, and I'm kind of interested in critiquing it a little bit. And so the vases and everything often like kind of damaged, so they often have um, pictures of people fighting within the frame or like having sex within the frame. And it's kind of this thing of these subliminal kind of messages that you kind of can pull out. So it's like these underlying like, esoteric kind of narratives that are there, but aren't hopefully aren't like too immediately obvious. So it kind of it's gratifying for the viewer to engage with it, look into these cracks, look into these sections and kind of pick out what they feel yeah, what they feel kind of the narrative could be. And again, I want it to be loose enough or vague and open enough okay. for not to have just one reading. Um, yeah. And um, you said that you were very interested in uh, looking at what makes up uh, masculinity or, you know, um, and that you want to uh, critique it in a way. And, you know, I think when I was here last, we were talking about, like, football rugby matches mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, and you know, how brutal uh, those sports can be. And, um, and then I think we also started talking about, um, you know, uh, male players coming out, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, and by coming out, the rest of the world you know, assuming That's that they have less of a masculinity and then, you know, uh, the way that society constructs what's meant to be masculine and what's meant to be feminine. Um, and I kind of want to, you know, I kind of want to talk about this idea of perhaps a constructive toxic masculinity that I'm guessing you're trying to critique through, through uh, you know, having these very kind of vague bodies within your painting and then you know, also giving it an image that is quite, um, you know, that is quite representative. It can be quite aggressive sometimes, yeah. like the flames you're talking about and the cracks in the in the work and like the serpents that kind of come in, they're all often, they'll be like phallus, like phallic kind of references too. Um, but yeah, I think like with the macho kind of thing with the sport, I'm really drawn to this idea of kind of undermining that in a way, kind of like, making more like a more of a joke like a parody mm -hmm. from that so yeah. I did a while ago I painted like some cowboys like kissing in the shower but it was like cut in two sections so you could only see the legs and the faces so you couldn't see like anything else that's going on in between yeah but it's like this kind of the, the cowboy representing like the kind of the lone male archetype and then putting three of them together and having them make out in the shower scene is kind of similar to like rugby players after a rugby match yeah slapping each other's bum in the showers it's that kind of it, yeah. It's a joke, it's parody, but at the same time, I feel like there are more deeper kind of feelings or meanings in there. And I'm, subliminal kind yeah. of, okay. Yeah. Alright. Um, Do you feel as though people might make assumptions when they, when they look at uh, work that you're obviously doing as a way to, basically using counter critique as a way to critique certain aspects within within your paintings. I like to but call do it you do you feel do you, do you worry sometimes that 
people might get the wrong idea with the kind of you know images that you you put out because yeah. we've had a conversation you know mm-hmm. I've you know we we've talked about these things yeah. but when you actually exhibit I don't have the chance to defend it or talk about it in the same way sorry that was small plate by Bill Callahan as well which was yeah. Great song. Thank yeah. you. And the next one is uh, Say That You Love Me, which is Loud on <laughs> yeah. One Right, the third. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do you worry about, you know, people misjudging perhaps your work or is, thinking, making assumptions about what you're trying to do? It's definitely a concern, and it's that whole thing of authorship that's in any work. And if you're talking about quite sensitive subject matter, then I think you'll always have to tread lightly or not even tread lightly, just be aware of the fact that people can misread things. And I am sometimes making work that could be read in a way that I don't want it to be. But I don't feel too, I don't feel insecure about that. I'm actually quite happy for people to read it in different ways. I think that only really through series and through seeing more than one piece will people start to kind of understand maybe that that's not my intention or through reading even artist statements yeah. and things um, and there are multiple reasons like multiple readings that you can get from any piece so like I had this one of the woman kissing in front of the yeah. flames and my brother like saw it and instantly reacted by saying well like that's firstly homophobic it's all women yeah. and then he said um, he thinks because there's one black person and then the other people are like fairer skin yeah. so maybe it's racist too and I personally don't agree with any of that I don't think yeah. that was my intention yeah. but it was interesting that that was someone's first response someone that I'm close to someone who knows me well yeah. to respond in that way um, so I think I'm less defensive now than maybe I would have been a while ago yeah. in that sense I don't mind so much people are, are say that I find it interesting Challenging. to see yeah okay. and maybe if if multiple people do start to see that then it's a reason to reassess how you're portraying these narratives and what you're saying yeah. like I thought it was quite interesting recently with Dana Schitt's painting of um, the open casket that she had at the Whitney Biennial mm-hmm. and it was um, of, a black, of a black kid who'd been killed by police brutality yeah. many years ago and then like it was Emmett Till I think his name and um, then there was a lot of uproar about it and I personally engaged with it by feeling like it it shouldn't matter on the gender or race or colour of the person making the picture, it's more what they're trying to say by making it. And I think because they thought that she was sensationalising a black person's death and she was... Yeah, I mean, I can see where they're coming from as well. Mm -hmm. Because essentially, you know, being at the Whitney BNL, which is such a... If that was something that wasn't within an institution that essentially gives out prizes Mm -hmm. and capital, yeah. For, you know, so she might be making gains through. It's. I think it's the same kind of um, you know argument with what's his name, Luke Willis Thompson. Yeah, with the recent Chisholm Hill yeah. piece. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I mean, the, you know, all of these things are quite sensitive, but I, I feel like having an awareness, mm-hmm. like you do, yeah. is more import- important than like perhaps putting your foot down and being like. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that, but I also think that Luke Willis Thompson and Dana Schitt probably did have awareness. Thank you. I, I take the other stance in the sense that I think it's unfair, or it's not unfair, that's a silly word to use, it's, it's, not, it's not always the right approach for people to think that, for people to think that it's, um, it's, it's not the right of someone to talk about something just because they're not integrated in that society. Whereas yeah. I think it's almost the other way around, whereas it's really important for us to be able to empathise with things that we're not familiar with. And the only way to do that is by engaging with it. So if, if you're going to make videos about someone from a completely different background or culture, if you do it sensitively, then I think it's okay. And that's yeah. kind of what I'm attempting to do in some ways. So 
by engaging with sexuality and like and, and also gender and race I think I wouldn't do it in a way that's trying to critique the person I'm critiquing the sport maybe or, or the other narratives that are kind of intertwined within that mm -hmm. um yeah okay you did mention earlier that uh, the Bill Callahan mm -hmm. uh track Mm -hmm. um, you have a personal. It was it was the one before. It was Hadouk Trio. It was Hadouk yeah. Trio. You can play it again if you want. I'm thinking maybe we can, and uh, because we are reaching the end of this uh, podcast, mm -hmm. I'm gonna get you to talk to that about about Lomsha, mm -hmm. um, which here we go again, and um, I'd like you to draw for us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna hand this here for you, and I'm just gonna let you do whatever you want with That's it. That's cool. Um, so what's what's the story behind Lumsha then? So for me it was it was hard to pick just one song by this band um, because they were a band that I heard first in Bali. I last January I was mm -hmm. there for like a couple of months, mm -hmm. and I did like a month studio stint while I was there, and I was sharing the studio with this old French guy who I think was part African as well, but we never really talked about our backgrounds, which in a way is quite interesting. But um, while I was there. One evening we shared this huge studio space that was, I don't know the exact size, but it was it was way bigger than what I'm in now. And I we divided it with this big um, Balinese old wood carving that was like a wood a room divider that he was like restoring. So he's on one side, I'm on the other, and it gets like the evening and I'm still like painting away on my side using like my household gloss paints and like the screen prints I'd got in like the local shop in the like DIY yeah. stores. And then I hear this music coming over, like all of a sudden, like quite loud coming through, and it's it's these guys, Hadouk Trio, and he, I think he knew the band, and so he puts on the record and he like starts playing this, and it was the first music he'd played while I was in there, and I remember talking about this idea of like the meditative state and kind of reaching a, a different state of, of mind while you're working. I just, for me, this song kind of takes me right back to that feeling of that moment of just being like right in the middle of, of working in a foreign environment really kind of cut off from my normal lifestyle, cut off from everything else that I'm kind of familiar with. And then hearing this kind of music come through, it really like set a tone. And that's my like personal relationship to it. And it just feels like whenever I hear them now, they always can take me back to that kind of place and that, that one moment in time. I think music, even more than visual art even, like music for me does that quite quickly, like can put you in that mood. Yeah. So this, yeah, so that's my relationship with that song. Okay. Mm. So um, I think we are reaching the end. Uh, should we go grab a pint? <laughs> that sounds perfect. All right. Well, um, thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, I guess we'll see you the next nude cast. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for giving us your time. Yeah, thank you, Chloe. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. I guess. <laughs>